How are you doing there? Just a quickie before we start. On the Apple podcast, why don't you double click on David McWilliams Plus? It's right there when you open the podcast. You get ad free, you unlock early access. Just double click and away you go. David McWilliams Plus, you get this pure and simple. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today, We're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by ACAST. How are you doing there? It is podcast time and what a week we are living through. We were talking to you on Tuesday about bond market carnage. We were talking about the Still trying to link. get my head around that. Exactly. <laughs> and what we're seeing all over the world, again, is this growing sense of anxiety, this growing sense that, you know what? If, for example, Her Majesty's guilts in the UK can actually lose 50% of face value as they did last week. What hope is there for all the bonds of all the emerging markets, all the countries that have leveraged themselves up over the last couple of years and now find that the big background noise, John, another Mm. piece of information. Today, by the way, we're going to talk about the Irish economic model. We're going to contrast what has happened in Ireland in the last little couple of days, what's happened in the UK and elsewhere. Is there an Irish economic model? Is it permanent? Is it just transitory? What can we do to make it better? That's what we're going to talk about today because amazingly in Ireland, you don't usually get people seeking what I would call altitude, trying to get way above what's going on in the society and actually see what the hell is Ireland doing different to other countries? What could we do better? All that sort of thing. Obviously, we tend to get stuck in the housing market and rightly so. But there are other things going on in the economy, which we have to attend to. But John, just on the economy, of course, Kilconomics coming up, kilconomics.com. Get your tickets, have a look at the shows. Things are going extremely well. It's a hilarious weekend, but more Some than brilliant that. Brilliant shows. Yeah, just, you know, we've got 50 brilliant shows in different venues, tiny ones, big ones, cathedrals, hotels, the back of pubs. All sorts of places. You'll really, really enjoy it. So Kilconomics.com, the 3rd to the 6th of November. How are you, Head? I am good. I'm good. Uh, I'm still looking across the water and scratching my head. It's it's a shit show. 
It is a shit show. It is a shit <laughs> show. I think that's a technical term. It is a shit show. And, but uh, it's fascinating at the same time. It is, it is absolutely fascinating. fascinating. But it is a case of, you know, it was a crazy budget, mini budget that they did and sent the markets all askew. And we talked about that on Tuesday. But what I was wondering, and you, you spoke about the more bad decisions, or if you keep making bad yeah. decisions, that your credibility is... It erodes. Eventually it erodes. Is, is it just a credibility issue now at this stage? And, th- and can they get out okay, of it? Okay, so let's, let's, let's look, right? The thing about what's happening in the UK is that it is the culmination of what I would say is Brexit thinking. Mm. At the core of Brexit thinking was this misdiagnosis that the UK is a big country. The UK is, in international terms, not a big country. And if you come... It's still the fifth biggest market, though. It's the sixth largest economy in the world. But that doesn't make it particularly big. You know, if it was a big, credible economy, the currency wouldn't have collapsed, the guilt market. It depends on overseas buyers of its assets. Right. And once you depend on overseas buyers, you're basically depending on the kindness of strangers, which is not a good place to be. Mm -hmm. Right? That's the first thing. So I think what a lot of countries, and Germany has discovered it's a small country this last couple of weeks because it's dependent on gas. France has discovered it's quite a small country, doesn't have the power it has. Britain has understood it's quite a small country, okay, in the sense that you don't have massive sovereignty. Small countries, like actual small countries like ourselves and Denmark and Belgium, you understand that the world isn't fair, that you have to figure out a way of living. Nobody owes you a living. You've got to figure out, right? And you also know that you're tiny. Yeah, yeah. And small country thinking... Actually, in a globalized world, what I've always said, the thing about globalization is it allowed small countries to in some way get over the tyranny of geography, right? The tyranny of geography, you're all small. Sure. We were allowed to play in the big game, mm. but you have to understand the rules, right? And the rules, and we don't get to set the rules. We are rule takers. The Brits understand now they are rule takers. They don't yeah. get, you know, they said Britannia rules the waves. I always say Britannia waves the rules, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the idea is, so that's the first thing. So it's Brexit <laughs> thinking that had them going to the market and say, we're going to have an expansionary budget and we don't care, right? Because we're a big country. Then they realized, no, 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 they're a small country, okay? The second part of the Brexit thinking is this idea of trickle-down economics. So that what they will do is they will enrich very, very wealthy people, largely their friends, and that money will trickle down. But that comes crashing into what we were talking to John Byrne Murdoch about last week, which is the existing inequalities. So Brexit thinking... Double down Brexit thinking. It's a small country that thinks it's big, and this is a relative thing. Mm. And also realize that America rules the waves. In finance, the only thing that matters is the dollar, yeah. the American long bond, and the price of oil. There are your three big things, okay? Right. And America more or less controls everything. Just explain, because we're just back on the bond thing. Okay. I'm still trying to, why is the American long bond? Because that sets the price of risk all over the world. Right? The, so the dollar is the reserve currency of the world, yeah. right? So yeah. no matter what anybody says, people buy dollars. Yeah. And in a situation of uncertainty, people go into dollars because they know it's going to be liquid, they can sell it, etc. right? Which is why the dollar is going up at the moment, as right. well as the fact that American interest rates are going up, right? So the long bond sets the floor of interest rates around the world. Mm. And that's why it's so important. So the American long bond is the most important 
interest rate in the world. Okay. And okay. Everything else genuflects to that. Right. Now that is, of course, and people on the left, understandably, think this is wrong because it gives the Americans a free lunch. People on the right, understandably, think it's wrong because it means the Americans have this cultural imperialism. Mm. Putin thinks it's wrong. Xi thinks it's wrong, etc. But it is what it is at the moment, right? And that ain't going to change yeah. quite some time. And it's funny, like, and all the... Well, how could it change? You know, and all the Bitcoiners say, oh my God, the dollar's going to collapse in effect. No, sorry, it's the Bitcoiners. That actually is weaker. The dollar's going stronger. So all these things, right? And it could change if America decides that it doesn't want the world to use dollars. But it wouldn't do that. But it wouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, it's basically, this is free power and influence that the Americans have. And in fact, if you go, if you go down the history of all huge empires, have always had this extraordinary upside, which is your currency. So for example, sterling used to be the reserve currency of the world. Yeah. People traded in sterling, you traded everything. But, but can I just ask you, I know we're kind of going off on one here, but can I just ask you that, you know, all oil, etc., all those commodities yeah. are bought and sold in dollars. Yeah. What if that changed? I thought I thought they were, there was a shift to other currencies now. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Europeans tried to do this with the euro. Yeah. I mean, the problem with currencies is that there is a sort of a magical quality to them. I've always said that when you get into a taxi in a third world country, developing country, emerging market, whatever it is, right? The day in which the taxi driver says to me, I'll tell you the exchange rate of South Africa mm. to the ruble, that's the day the ruble becomes the reserve currency. At the moment, when you go into a cab, they always say, look, 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 I'll change you. I'll change money mm. into dollars. It's always dollars. The dollar has this quality that people use it. And it's this extraordinary thing called liquidity, Right. Liquidity is this ability to buy and sell. There's a really, really liquid market. The dollar has liquidity because everyone recognizes. This is the fascinating thing about money, and this is what gold bugs and a lot of crypto people don't, as far as I can see, seem to get, is that money is a most bizarre asset where the more it's used, the more valuable it becomes, mm. right? It's not like scarcity. So the gold people say, it's scarce, therefore it's valuable, right? Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. the real alchemy of money, it's like social media, it's a social technology. So the more it's used, the more right. valuable it becomes. Yeah, yeah. So there's this very strange idea that when money is scarce, it's useless. Remember we talked about Esperanto? Yes, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the language, the, the language. international language. Exactly, yeah. so the idea is that you know, money, fine, Esperanto may well be grammatically a cleverer language than English, yeah. but everyone speaks English. Yeah. So that's what gives it its power. It's not the purity or the construction of English that gives it its global power. It's the fact that everyone speaks it yeah. and, this, and money yeah. is yeah. exactly the same. Well, so, so again, these are fascinating parts of economics that are not necessarily governed by supply and demand, not necessarily governed by classical economics, that money is an ephemeral mercurial substance that only exists inside the mind of people. And that's what's the amazing thing, that money is an entirely invented construct. It's the only construction that I can think of, the only technology that's entirely invented by humans. Money doesn't exist in the animal world, right? Mm. It doesn't exist in the natural world. It's our technology. So that's money. And John, we're going to come back to it because at, at the core of economics yeah. is this magic technology, money. 
And it's impossible sometimes to put your finger on why a money is valuable vis-a-vis other monies. But what we do know is it's not scarcity. Yeah. Because scarcity actually betokens hoarding. And once you hoard money, you take it out of circulation, then the magic's gone. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about Ireland after the break. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay, Mac. Ireland. The Benighted Isle. <laughs> but so talk to you, you were saying, what is the alchemy of Ireland? We were talking about the alchemy of money there. So what is yeah. the, what have we got that is making the Irish economy stand out? Okay, well, I think the first thing is, let's go back, right? So we, we started talking about the UK, right? And the idea of politicians using the economy and the society as a laboratory for experiments, okay? And so Liz Truss decided, we're going to have this experiment, right? That's really dangerous. Now, the reason... I love the way you call her Liz Trust all the time. (laughs) All the time. Liz no trust, okay. But, but, you know, she's using the UK as a laboratory. Yeah. But that's very, very dangerous. Conrad Adenauer, right? So in 19... Imagine Germany after the Second World War. It's totally destroyed. They have hyperinflation after the war. The country is completely flattened, okay? Mm. They have this new entity called the Federal Republic of Germany. Yeah. Based in Bonn, a really inconsequential city on the Rhine, so that it strips away all that big German, we're going to be big cities, the capital's going to be Berlin, because that all represents Nazism. Yes. Prussian militarism, all that stuff. So they decided we're going to base it in Bonn. The very, very first prime minister of Germany was a guy called Konrad Adenauer. Yes. Conrad Adenauer's dictum for all politics was no experiments. And he used to say that again and again and again to his cabinet. And his idea was that politics is serious. Mm. Politics is an incredibly serious business. It's not a laboratory. He says Germany had these ideologues who decided, oh, let's experiment with this. Let's experiment with racial purity. Let's experiment with Nazism. And it destroyed the country. Yeah. So what Adenauer is basically saying, Germany after the war, it's going to be boring, solid, slow, methodical progress, no surprises, no experiments, no erratic move. It's going to be a long-term game. 
Yeah. Now, I think that's exactly what politics should be about, okay? Incremental, incremental. That puts me firmly in what we call the centrist dad camp. Yes, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. But I prefer to call it the Conrad Adenauer camp, right? <laughs> Whereas the UK is the experiments and you see what happens, right? So then you've got to say, okay, how do we know what the difference is? Right? So you've got two budgets in the last week. You have the Irish budget mm. and you have the UK budget. Now, the Irish budget, lots and lots to commend, but lots of problems. The classic one again, doing nothing real on housing. Well, that was that's you know, exactly it. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. They've introduced a sort of a vacancy tax, but it's like, yeah, whatever. It's you know, things have to it's be. It's kind of tinkering around the edge rather around. than kind of getting to the core. The of thing it. about it, although we say no experiments, when you identify what your problem is, you have to hit it with all your firepower. Yeah. And our problem yeah. is housing, and you can hit it with all your firepower. And you might say, well, it's not about money; it's about labour; it's about this. If it is about capacity, go abroad. Get building companies from abroad. Get workers from abroad, if that's the problem, right? And the idea is to laser-like focus, right? But the Irish budget broadly shows a country whose aspirations are Northern European. Netherlands, Denmark, mm. Belgium, even the Scandinavians, right? We're going to try and reduce inequalities by increasing welfare, by keeping tax cuts to the rich at a minimum. Yeah. Yeah. And by trying to move towards a society where equality is the watchword. Yeah. Now, you get there very, very slowly. And this is when I come back to Adenauer. It takes a long, long time. Just do it slowly, methodically, every single day. But you've got to have a, a long-term plan. You've got to have a long-term plan. Yeah. Now, I think Ireland has stumbled into a plan. I don't think this was really preordained. So think like the UK, and the reason I come to the UK is it's right beside us. The UK's plan is to turn the UK into Alabama. Not clever. <laughs> yeah. With inequalities and all that sort of stuff. Our plan is to try and get towards Denmark, right? Yeah. Now we're quite far away from it, but at least that seems to be the government's, the broad consensus of this is the way we should go. So the question then is, how do you get there? Mm. How do you explain Ireland's ridiculous economic performance. I say ridiculous, ridiculously good in the last 40 years. Yeah. Given where we came from and given what has happened to other Western countries. So we came from being the poorest country in the rich world to a country which is on many metrics quite wealthy, some metrics which are inaccurate too wealthy, but other metrics say, well, actually, in fact, we're just doing okay. So you're, you're saying this wasn't a grandmaster plan? No, this I, think, is, I, think, we fell I think we fell into it. But, but there are bits of it that look like a plan, right? Mm. So I've always said the Irish strategy can be summed up as talk European, walk American, sound Irish. Okay? <laughs> right. okay. So imagine that, right? that, one. So basically, talk European, okay? That, that the idea is join the European Union, be a member of the European community, aspire to European values of democracy and liberalism and all that sort of stuff. So create that structure, mm. right? That's where we're going. Now, walk American, which is the interesting thing, is do this with American help. So open up your economy to the Americans as much as you possibly can. Why? Because Americans will invest somewhere. So why not here? Yeah. And they are still, as we talked about at the top, by far and away the most powerful economy in the world. So our idea is... Ireland is trying to be Sweden or Denmark, but we're getting the Americans to pay for it. Right, and that okay, is the, yeah. that's the key. So imagine this. We are getting American chief executives who are largely Republican, I'd say, yeah. right, yeah. to pay for a society that wants to be Swedish. 
right? That's the whole idea. And how you do this... <laughs> Don't tell them that. Okay, okay. So how you do this is you talk European, right? Yeah. You walk America. So you walk the walk. So you say to the Americans, come in, we will cut our tax system for yeah. you. We'll have a legal system. It's more that of a rewards. swagger, isn't it? It's more of a swagger, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you still sound Irish. So you still use your deep culture and your idiosyncratic nature yeah, yeah. to actually say, yeah. this is not Denmark. This is not Belgium. Come and live here. We're better crack. It's better fun. We've better art, culture, all that sort of stuff. We're not better, but we have our own thing. Yes. So yeah, you yeah. keep your national identity, but you play in the global world. Now, that, I think, has to be the strategy, and that is the strategy, right? But I think we've stumbled into it. I don't think anybody in Ireland had any sense that the multinationals would come here in the same way. Yeah, I don't. Think well, I suppose. I mean, the the other problem as well is, is, as we've often said, is that the key problem with democracy is that it's only a four or five year cycle. Yeah, you know, so most politicians only plan for the four or five years. Exactly, exactly. The only plan. Well, we're talking now over forty years. Over forty years now. One of the fascinating things, and it's a really important thing to bring out, is that a lot of these nationalist nativist movements in Italy, in Germany, in Britain, of course. Trump, all these things, right, are largely based on appealing to the losers in the last 40 years, people who had good positions in their society mm. and vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world and have lost out due to deindustrialization. So what you've seen is as okay. the Western economy has shifted to Asia in terms of manufacturing, a huge, basically blue-collar workforce has been completely and utterly undermined. And they not only have been undermined, but because they had something in the past, they feel very angry. I think the best example of this are loyalists in the North. Right. So loyalists okay. in the North had their jobs in the shipyards. They had their jobs in the linen mills. They had a working wage, right? What makes them so angry, I always believe, and they are angry people, is that their position has been eroded, not relative to their Catholic neighbours or to their Southern neighbours, but to what they used to be. So their right. dads used to have a job, right? Yeah. And they, they yeah, were, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So imagine that going on all over the world. And that, of course, fuels nativist politics. Ireland is the, one of the very few countries that has re-industrialised in the last 40 years. We mm. have built an entirely different manufacturing base, largely thanks to the Americans. We didn't do it on our own, yeah, right? Yeah. So that means about 300,000 Irish people, like your brother, yes. work in manufacturing making high-tech yeah. components and products. When the rest of Europe has decimated its industrial base, we've created a new industrial base, and that gives us ballast. But it was, it was that the, the old industrial base was that old manufacturing yeah. of mining, steel, cars, and all, all that sort of thing. Stuff, that, which is, has moved on. It's moved to China. Yeah. It's moved to Asia. So uh, of all the European countries, certainly all Western European countries, Ireland has managed to create an entirely new industrial economy at a time when other countries were destroying their industrial economy. And the reason we have to be aware is that if manufacturing can leave the UK and Germany, well, it didn't really leave Germany, Germans have doubled down, or Italy, you know, could our glistening new industrial base leave here too? Yeah, well, you know, absolutely. So that's... Because economics is kind of relentless. But isn't this the big concern about, you know, being so reliant on these American multinationals that not only could they up and leave in the morning, but they also have a huge amount of power and, and leverage, strength, over, and leverage over the political system. Exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. So, that, so let's get to that. And I think you're absolutely right. Now, I am, as you know, a big fan 
of opening up the economy. Yeah. The reason I am is I know what it's like to live in a closed economy, right? Yeah. And it was not pleasant, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. warts and all, I'm a huge fan of the fact that we have created this new industrial base. The worry is when you look at something like the budget, right? There's two things, right? One is that a lot of people will say the American money isn't real. It's, in, it's, it's not real. Now, I, I, I disagree with that. Like, so, for right. example, when the Greens decide to build a bicycle lane outside our house here, okay, yes. which yeah. I believe they are about to do, the euros that are spent to build that bicycle lane, it doesn't matter whether they come from Google or whether they come from VAT on the pint in McKenna's, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's the same yeah, yeah. euro. Yeah, so yeah, they're yeah. the same value, right? So this money idea is money, man. Money, money, is money. Yeah, so money is money. So the idea that, you know, basically a euro generated from the government through you and I buying pints of stout in McKenna's is in some way better than a euro generated by tax and services from Google. That makes no sense to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the money is real. Once it's spent, it's real. And the magic of making money real is the exchequer. The money comes in and then you spend it. Yeah. So it's real. So that's the one, it is real. Yeah, but okay, so so the, so the money is real, absolutely, yeah. regardless of where it comes from. Yeah. But given the fact that we're so reliant now on these multinationals, you know, have they too much leverage? And, and you know, what's the budget? What's the budget doing? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Look, okay, so the first thing is the multinationals are not the problem, right? Yeah. They are a solution in most cases. And the solution was how do we create an industrial economy when we don't have one? Yeah. Right? So they have solved that problem. But if you look at the numbers, 10% of our total tax take in 2011 was corporation tax, Okay. It's now 25%, okay? Right, and yeah. of that 25%, multinationals are about 80%. So 80% wow. of the corporation tax yeah. is from well, that's multinationals huge and 20% from ours. Yeah. So if they were to go, our tax take would be destroyed. In terms of foreign multinationals account for 32% of all employment taxes, so all income tax is paid because they tend to be much better paid. Yeah. If you work for a multinational, right? So they've huge, huge employers. Yeah. yeah. So 32% of all our income tax comes from them. So it's not just corporation tax, it's mm -hmm. also income tax. And 53% of all employment taxes of corporate employees. So when you take out the private sector or the public sector, which pays tax, it's almost half of all tax comes from the corporate employees of multinationals. Mm -hmm. So that is phenomenal, right? And of course, they account for about 12 billion in taxes, corporation tax, every year, yeah. right? So yeah. that is a phenomenal thing. So it leaves us in a quite a precarious position. It does, because the good side is that we're talking about 2,700 euros in tax per head per year comes from multinationals. Yeah, wow. Man, every man, woman, and child. Yeah. And it's also, the really big ones are the top five, Google, Facebook, those really ones, right? Mm. So then the question is, are we too reliant? I think you're absolutely right. They must be lobbying the state all the time. Yeah, yeah. All the time. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know because we're in privilege, but I, they, they must have loads of lobbyists yeah. who are going around Marion Street saying, do this, do this, do this. And I'm not too sure they say, do this or else we leave. But I'm saying there's no doubt that your tax system is biased towards them. Now, that's why we really got to get out of jail card with the OECD 15% minimum tax, mm. right? Because basically that allowed Ireland to say, we're not a tax evader anymore. We're actually with everybody else, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's going to put that to bed, that issue. But you can be rest assured that they're lobbying on all sorts of other issues. And why? Because, as you say, they have the power. Yeah. They have the money. Yeah. Now, 
that's the one thing. So is, is your democracy kind of... I was going to say... Was, you know, is it yeah. is your democracy not hostage to, but is it slightly over-dependent on? Yeah. And then how does that... And that would be Sinn Féin's view, right? But I what I would say to the Shinners is, you know, chill out. We get a huge amount of money. All the, what the Shinners want to do on their social side, they need the money from the multinationals to do this. So you're kind of intellectually a little bit in a cul-de-sac, right? Yeah. I would say, look, leave well alone, because the big fear is that they move on to the next Ireland. Well, the other the other point, and this ain't an anti-Shinners thing at all, but... We're pro-Shinners. Like, I am. You're not. <laughs> I'm not sure what I am, to be perfectly honest with you. But it's, uh, we don't want experiments to get back to that. Exactly. Yeah. And when I say I'm pro-Shinner, I think that if they fix the housing market, great, right? If they do what they say, right? Yeah. But you're absolutely no experiments, right? So... The world is in a complete state of flux, right? Money is going all over the place. We're looking out at crises everywhere. That idea of, you know, those little fires everywhere, right? Yes, There's yeah, these yeah. little fires going off all the time. Don't be the country that says, hey, look at us. Look at us. <laughs> we're going to do something really fucking crazy here, right? Because, right? Okay. Yeah. So say, okay, we're part of this global world and, and play the game, right? But once you get into a situation where you're dependent on multinationals to the extent that we are and it is off the charge dependency one way of looking at this is that's great because capital is mobile the european union is a huge market the americans want to be here mm. why would they bother changing now my view is always if they make so much profit here why will they go as long as this place is very profitable for them then ultimately they're not going to go anywhere else because as i said this took 40 years to put in place so if you're sitting as a chief executive in america you're thinking why don't we just abandon that factory in Ireland and build one in Albania? Yeah, yeah. Why? Because Albanian labour is cheaper. But you have the entire infrastructure here, right? It's, it's, it's middle management playing golf, I think, is part of our <laughs> trick, right? You and I don't play golf, okay? But the Yanks love that sort of carry-on. Yeah. So what I'm saying is... It's I don't also, know the rules. But it's also, it's also connectivity, or, you know, all that sort of stuff, right? I'm saying I think they're going to stay because I can see the way in which the world operates, right? Or I can see a way that I think is working, mm -hmm. right? But we have to be extremely, extremely cautious. Now, this comes back to the real sweet spot, John, which is what you've said is when your over-dependence in economics is called having too narrow tax base, right? right. So yeah. you basically, you've got all your eggs in one basket, in a sense, right? So the, 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 the multinationals are giving us the money to pay for all these yeah. changes in social welfare and housing and not housing and health and education, right? So what do you do? You broaden your tax base. What is the most obvious tax to raise in this country? Property tax. Yes. So property tax, then you can actually cut income tax and leave the multinationals alone, raise property tax, raise a wealth tax on property, raise what I would, when we go back to our idea of George, Henry George, George Neo-Georgians yes, as we are, the idea is have a site value tax. You broaden your base by taxing property. The great thing about property is it can't run. Okay? <laughs> yeah, 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 so yeah. Your capital can run away. People can run away. Property can't run. So you have a stable taxing. And also, it solves this bullshit of hoarding land, enriching a drone class that live off land. Yeah. And what we know about land is it's profoundly unproductive unless you farm it. Yeah. So ex-farming, tax land. So I would say the solution, John, I'm going to conclude here, to the narrowness of the tax base 
isn't to attack the people who pay you most tax, which are the multinationals, but actually address the people who pay you no tax, who are landowners and homeowners like ourselves. Yeah. And therefore, if you increase tax on land, what it does is two things. One is it broadens the tax base in a counter run. Yeah. But two, it makes the efficient use of land much, much more attractive because the cost of leaving land idle or derelict or vacant goes up dramatically. So people say, well, fuck it. I'm actually going to use the land more efficiently. So I'm going to build more intensively. I'm going to rent it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. going to do it up. Yeah. So basically you, you, you hit two birds at one stone. You keep the multinationals and leave them alone. You broaden your tax base by taxing land. You make the efficient use of land much more attractive and you begin to solve your housing problem as well. Now, remember, the 3rd to the 6th of November, Kilkenomics in Kilkenny, the world's only economics and stand-up comedy festival. And John, tickets have been absolutely flying. That's brilliant. Yeah. No, That's I mean, fantastic. It means people really want to come back out. All the stuff you hear in the podcast all the voices, all your old favourites. We have many, many of our podcast legends coming in from all over the world to join us. Have a look at the lineup, kilkenomics.com, get your tickets, and we'll see you in Kilkenny. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course. And I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.